Linda is going to share some things here tonight, and I'm going to frame it in uh, very briefly. We, we talk about Jesus, and we tend to think about the things he did, and I'm going to call that his exterior landscape, that we see him healing people and teaching people and discipling people. We see him do lots of exterior things. And so when we read First John and it says, if you say you're in Christ, you must walk as Jesus walked, then we kind of think of those exterior things. And Carl's an activist, I'm an activist, Linda's an activist, Barry's an activist. So we have this tendency to think, I will go do those things. And then we hit a point like Carl just shared where it's not working any longer. And maybe at a moment like that, some authors call this liminality, liminality. Liminas in, in Latin means the threshold to something. You're, you're, not, you're not quite there. You can see the doorway, but you're on this side, and you're in what's called liminal space, and it's uncomfortable because you're no longer comfortable being on this side of the door, but you're not comfortable stepping through it either and making a change. And it's a very uncomfortable place, and it's a place where God often works to take you from the exterior to the interior landscape. What Jay shared from Luke 6, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, was the way Jesus operated. He had an interior landscape as well as an exterior. And so when we say follow Jesus, Jesus says to us, follow me, as one author says, that means to follow him all the way home into the heart of the Father. Not just follow him in what he did, but have the inner landscape of your life shaped more like the inner landscape of Jesus' life, which is an entirely different part of discipleship. And Linda's going to share a little bit more about that. And I'm going to come down here so I can see her. Hi, everybody. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you? I want to tell you uh, kind of a journey that I've been on. And since I'm 63, I'm going to use my reading glasses. This is one of the humbling things that happens as you age. All sorts of things change, and this is one of them. There I sat on my bed in a retreat center in Mission San Luis Rey, three hours south of my home in Santa Barbara, California. Hold on a second, I'm going to raise this a little bit. How do you do that? Yeah, just a little bit. There. Thanks. Okay, so here I was on the bed in a retreat center. This was my first night of a four-week-long retreat in virtual silence and solitude. I was alone in a building that has 80 rooms where they sometimes have retreats, but there was no retreat happening this night. So I was alone in a large building. I'm here, not part of any program. 
I've never been here in my life. I found this retreat center on the internet and the thoughts of what am I doing and am I crazy rolled around in my head. This experience of solitude came out of a growing feeling in my normal life that I was on a fast-moving train and I wanted to get off. While my life was rich and full, with family and friends and meaningful work, I had begun to realize that I was perpetually busy and had a reoccurring feeling of being overwhelmed, even resentful and sometimes not present with those I was in relationship with. I'd been talking to God about this for some time. And over time, I believe this spiritual restlessness had sown a seed in me, a growing longing to know God at a deeper level, a more intimate level. It is strange, after coming to know Jesus when I was 17 years old, that over the years of following him, I had replaced the deep connection I had experienced in the beginning with Linda's 101 Commandments and a second volume that I wrote, Linda's Self-Help Book. What had started as a journey toward Jesus had ended up a life often tethered to a list of expectations and demands. Maybe this was why I wanted to get off the fast-moving train. In my busy life, I felt that the only hope I had was to learn how to listen and recognize God's voice over the many voices I was listening to and to experience his love on a deeper level. Last August, as I shared this overwhelmed, over-responsible feeling with a friend, she said that she would pray for me. She called back a day later and said she felt like she was hearing something from God as she sought guidance for me. She said, now you have to figure out what this means, but what I think I keep hearing is stop working for the rest of the year. I was stunned, but even as she said it, I felt a stirring of hope spring alive in me, immediately followed by, how can I do that? I have financial obligations, people who depend on me. What about Bart? What will he say? Yeah, right. But I decided I would pray about it, and I ran the idea by Bart and my family and closest friends and a spiritual director. And as I checked this idea out, everyone was intrigued by this divine message and in agreement that it sounded like something God would say to me. So after a month and a half of planning, finding a place, taking care of the home front, I ventured out into an adventure with God. So there I was in my 10 by 12 room with a sink, a single bed, a desk and a chair in the silence 
of the night. I wish I would have asked someone who had done something like this what I might expect to encounter in this month-long journey into solitude, but I didn't. To my surprise, the first thing I experienced was insecurity. And following that, confusion. And following that, sorrow. This surprised me, but in a way it made perfect sense. When I left my normal life behind with all its interruptions, distractions, schedules, and my to-do list, I found myself alone in the quiet of the night in unfamiliar surroundings. And I had a distinct feeling of vulnerability. Why was I here? And what did I want from God? I also had the realization that I was not in charge. I had responded to a beckoning from God and didn't know what to expect or even what to do. A friend had given me a book of quotes she had put together for me and I picked it up and read something that Mother Teresa said. May today there be peace within. May you trust God that you are exactly where you are meant to be. May you not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith. That helped me. I could rest in peace and trust that I had not made a mistake and that God was present with me in this time and this place. As I sat there, I thought of the story of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings when he was distraught and running away and tired and confused. And he has an encounter with God, and God tells him to go up on the mountain and wait for him. So Elijah went up and sat waiting in a cave for a sign from the Lord. As he sat there, a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered rocks before him, but God wasn't in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he covered his face with his cloak and went out of the cave and stood there. The quiet voice asked, So, Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? And Elijah poured his heart out to the Lord. In pondering this, I realized that I too was in need of God's presence, and I wanted to hear this quiet, gentle whisper speaking to me. In the silence, God was asking me, Linda, now tell me, what are you doing here? Over the next few days and nights, I asked myself that question. What am I doing here? What is the nature of my longing? What do I need? And I first found out that I needed rest. No surprise. 
God was calling me to let go and just be. I am not a person who normally is just restful. I am a busy person, so this was a challenge. After years of going, 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 I was tired. And I sat in the stillness, trusting that I was not alone, that God was with me. I went on walks down by the ocean and breathed the salty ocean air. I hiked up into the hills. I sat in the rose garden and took in the beauty and tried to capture it in watercolors. I let go of what was undone back home. And I listened as the silence washed over me. I read the scriptures, various spiritual books and poems, and pondered their meaning. And in the silence, I began to hear a quiet, gentle voice and sense a loving presence. The solitude allowed some things to rise up to the surface. I grew more aware of my own brokenness and the ways in which I am not present to God. In Psalm 139, it says that God is acquainted with all our ways. As I began to attune my ears and eyes and heart to God, I also began to be acquainted with my ways, the ways in which I perpetuate the fast-moving train the ways in which I expect too much of myself and too little of God. But at the same time, I became aware that I was loved beyond belief, far beyond my ability to grasp or imagine. I read a poem by Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk, known for his contemplative writings. He said, if you seek a heavenly light, I, solitude, am your professor. I go before you into emptiness, raise strange suns for your new mornings, open the windows of your innermost apartment. When I, loneliness, give my special signal, follow my silence, follow where I beckon. Fear not, little spirit. I, solitude, am angel and have prayed in your name. I had a companioning presence leading the way, a guide, a teacher. When Jesus encountered those who would be his disciples, he said to them, follow me. And when I was a senior in high school, I too responded to the call of Jesus to follow him. And now he was leading me on a deeper journey. He was asking me to follow him all the way home. Like the rich young ruler who encountered Jesus, I knew what it was like to be full, but he was asking me to empty myself. During the month away, something shifted and deepened in my experience of God. I encountered the presence of God in ways I had not experienced before. I received some healing in broken areas of my life. I learned to listen to that gentle whisper and trust it. I learned to be more alert and awake to God's desire to be intimately involved in my life. 
As a monk once said, silence is the gateway to the soul, and the soul is the gateway to God. When we make time for silence and solitude, we encounter the one who has always been present. What does Jesus teach us about this soul journey toward God? How did Jesus experience his relationship to God, whom he lovingly called his daddy? What were his practices? What did he teach about this deeper, more intimate spiritual journey? I want to focus our attention on what is probably a familiar passage to most of us. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. This interchange gives us an idea of Jesus' beliefs about intimacy with God. Listen to this story. Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to see Jesus under the cover of night. He begins by saying to Jesus, Now, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God because no one could do the things you do and the miraculous signs you perform if it was not God who was with him. Jesus responds to this statement in such a curious way. He bypasses what could have been a heady discussion and goes straight to the heart of the matter by telling Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus responds mockingly, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he can't enter his mother's womb a second time to be born. But Jesus tells him, in essence, I tell you the truth. No one can enter, experience, see, know, taste, feel the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. You must not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let's look at this passage with perhaps a different set of eyes than we may have looked at it before. I'm going to get a drink of water for a second. Here, I think this, this one's fine. Okay, often we have seen Jesus' statement that you must be born again as a transaction, perhaps a one-time event that results in salvation. But for a moment, let's put on a new lens, a contemplative lens in which to look at this encounter. What is Jesus telling Nicodemus, a Bible-believing leader in the Jewish faith? I believe he's telling Nicodemus that he needs to discover an interior journey of faith which looks quite different from his external journey he has been on. Nicodemus, as a member of the ruling council, had his spiritual ducks lined up in a row. He knew the jot and tittle of the law, which was greatly focused on the externals. He had his beliefs 
tied up in a box, if you will. Nicodemus was a lot like I was with Linda's 101 Commandments. He really knew what he knew. You might say he had become attached to his viewpoint. None of us are attached to our viewpoints here, I'm sure. But Jesus tells him that he will actually miss seeing and entering in and experiencing the kingdom of God around him and within him unless he enters a spiritual place of unknowing. What would it mean to be born again? If we take Jesus at his word, we see that in order to be born of the Spirit, we must go through a metamorphosis of unknowing everything we think we know, like a baby. We would need to exchange this place of self-sufficiency of adulthood to the vulnerable dependency of a baby, one whose eyes are glued on the tender mother who feeds him. Are you too old to be nurtured by God, to be this dependent on God? Are you willing to unlearn what you have become attached to? If this didn't shake Nicodemus's theology to the core, then Jesus, sounding like the true mystic, likens the spiritual journey to the wind. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it came from or where it goes. This is what it's like to be born of the Spirit. It's not a journey of predictability. It is not a static journey. It is not a one-time transaction. It is a dynamic journey of change, of revelation, of falling in love of expanding your spiritual understanding, allowing God to be as big as he is, of learning how to recognize and be responsive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is an awakening. It was this kind of dependency that Jesus had with God, his daddy. It was this thirst that drove Jesus into solitude where he often prayed all night and once that we know of for 40 days and nights. It was this dependency and intimacy that Jesus spoke of when he said, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Jesus said, when you go to pray, go in your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen then your father, who sees what's done in that secret place, will reward you. Jesus calls us to our room, that silent, sacred space. He asks us to close the door to the exterior world and for a time just be with God. And in that place, we will be seen by God and we will expose our hearts to God, and he will be with us. And there is a reward for this practice, it says. Rumi, a poet, says this, a little while alone in your room will prove more valuable 
than anything else that could ever be given to you. Thomas Keating said, the root of prayer is interior silence. These days, interior silence is a rare thing, especially in our culture. Our lives are filled with noise, cell phones, text messages, email, Facebook, Twitter, television, video games, and the list goes on and on. We fill up every minute and space with something. We are driven and distracted, and we wonder, usually under the cover of darkness, why we feel estranged from God, from one another, and even from ourselves. Many times we've lost the ability to listen to God. We may be even losing the hope that there is or could be a deeper intimacy with God. What I discovered on my retreat is that God is speaking through everything. Everything can be my teacher. And there is nothing outside the reach of God and that he is always coming toward me in love. And that it is God's desire that we would experience intimacy with him. Jesus lived out what that intimacy looks like. One sunny morning on my retreat, close to the end, I wrote a poem that somehow captures some of the joy I was experiencing in my time of solitude with God. Here it is. Beautiful, radiant sun welcomes me and invites me in to today, full of openness, empty of agenda. I stand on tiptoe to witness the presence who is love meeting me in this budding place, my possibility. So I would like to give you a chance to experience a few moments of meeting God in this budding place, your possibility to be present to the one who is always present to you. I will guide you through this meditation and just to, you know, make you not nervous, it will be about seven minutes long. And even though this may be the first time you've ever experienced something like this, I encourage you to open yourself to the possibility that God will meet you right where you are, whatever you are going through. Open yourself to the possibility of God speaking to you in this silent moment, however God may want to speak, or that you would simply sense his loving presence with you. In the midst of this large community, this large family, you were invited to go into your interior room and close the door. So to begin, make sure your cell phone is off and get comfortable in your seat. Put your feet on the floor with your hands resting comfortably in your lap. You may want to open your palms up as a uh, act of receiving all God has from you or also as an act of giving over to God what is bothering you. 
close your eyes here for a moment. Take a few moments to begin to connect with yourself. Notice how your body is feeling and shift if you need to, to a more comfortable position. Let yourself relax and be present in the moment. Begin to pay attention to your breath, noticing the natural rhythm of inhaling and exhaling without trying to change anything. Just be present to this life-giving rhythm that has been with you ever since you were born and will sustain you moment by moment until your last breath. Enter into this gift of your breath, this miracle. Allow your breath to gently carry your awareness from your head, your thinking, analyzing, and judging center, down to your heart, that place of intuitive and feeling presence. Take your hand and find your pulse on your wrist or in your neck, and become aware of the beating of your own heart, sustaining your life. There's nothing you have to do but be present to this gift, which is your life. As you feel the pulse of your heart, take a few moments to become fully present to your heart as a dwelling place for the divine presence. Experience the expansiveness of this space and breathe into it. Begin to notice your feelings and see if you can welcome them without trying to change anything. Simply experience your emotions in their fullness, being present without judgment. Perhaps in this place of awareness of your own feelings, 
you have become conscious of your own vulnerability, confusion, darkness, or sadness. Remember that the infinite source of compassion dwells here with you in the midst of that. Breathe in that compassion, allowing it to fill the tender places. You are right where you are supposed to be. You are the beloved. You are enough. In this place of acceptance, Hear the voice of love speaking to you, calling you by name, saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Melissa, come to me. Santiago, come to me. Dick, come to me. Maria, come to me. He calls you by name, your name. Take in and ponder his invitation. Come to me. It may mean that you need to leave something in order to come. It may mean that you take off running toward Jesus and embrace him and be held by him. He may lead you down a different path. Just allow whatever happens at this time in your own room, in your own space with God to happen. When you realize that the life of Christ is eternal, not, not just in the sense that it goes on forever, which it does, but it's a qualitative life. It's a type of life. And the way you describe that type of life is that it's God's kind of life. And as Dallas said, we, we enter that in the presence of Jesus. And it doesn't change at death. So we're a part of something much bigger than just changing the world. I was thinking when we were talking about changing the world at one point, and I thought, well, I don't have that much time. You know, at 64, you kind of go. But I'm going to be a part of something creative in God that's got this 
depth of joy at its core, and we find that in the presence of Jesus, who leads us, as Linda said, all the way home. We don't just follow Jesus in the exterior. We follow him in the interior. We follow him all the way home into the bosom of the Father. That's the interior journey that we wanted to end this, end this evening on.